Hey, this is Josh Wilson, and you're listening to Frequency. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of the Frequency Podcast. It's Dan Thompson here with my good buddy, Joe. And how are you doing today, Joe? Good. Welcome to um, the beautiful month of September. At least I think it's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah, I I love the fall. Um, September isn't where the trees change, though, at least in these parts of the world. Um, trees are still green. So I like it. The true autumn, you know, mid-October you can wear your big wool sweaters and go for walks and leaves falling and it's just nice and cool. Now I know that we talk about seasons and weather a lot and that's, but I'm still going to talk about it. Um, I used to love autumn, uh, but if I lived where you live, I would be desperate for every ounce of sunshine that I could get. I, I mean, <laughs> I, I would be desperate for that, but you know, weather's been, Weather's been really playing havoc with us lately. Um, mm -hmm. Obviously, it's all over the place in the news, but uh, here in yeah. Oregon, we've been dealing with, you know, uh, wildfires. Yes. Um, and uh, my wife is from Houston, and obviously Hurricane Harvey hit them, and Irma is going. So, you know, folks, if you're listening to this three years later, you, you have some context, I hope, <laughs> yeah. for that. But yep. man, it's been a rough summer in terms of um, in terms of winter. But back to the point, fall is lovely. I love fall. It's still summer for another few days, so let's not be in a hurry. <laughs> yeah, well, I guess it's a double-edged sword here because summer here is beautiful. I mean, it's one of the top 10, 20 places in the world to visit, yeah. according to some of the travel sites. But it's a, a double-edged sword in the sense that our population doubles in the summer. So life becomes different on PEI when the cruise ships show up, oh, yeah. you know, 4,000 4, people walk off and, uh, yeah, doing daily life, restaurants, grocery stores, whatever, just becomes mayhem. And, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're from different parts of the world. So expectations are different oh, and, uh, we're a bunch of fickle Islanders here. So yeah, we, we grin and bear it for a couple months, but once September hits, uh, yeah, give us our land back. <laughs> oh, no, you know what? Well, um, you knew I worked on cruise ships. I don't know if people I did. knew I worked on cruise ships. You were a DJ. Uh, for the first few months, I was a DJ. Oh, okay. Lousy DJ. DJ Joe. Ugh. Is there anything more white bread than DJ Joe? <laughs> I mean, come on. And here's I need to make a, I need to make a graphic of GI Joe and change it to DJ Joe. No, because GI Joe is too cool. GI Joe had that beard, uh, you know, and he was muscular and stuff. I'm this <laughs> tall, balding, gray-haired white man. And but that's why you work in audio, Joe. So no one has to look at you. <laughs> you are a mean, mean person. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I could say the same thing. I'm looking at my the view of myself on the Skype video here. And all I see is gray. Yeah. Me so too. I have my hair, but it's all white. Yeah. But you've got, yeah. So you, you have the advantage of a nice head of hair. Why are we talking about this? I anyway, having worked on cruise ships, I know what it's like to just dump the passengers off on some poor unsuspecting locals. And I can imagine what it would be like to like, you know, when your economy, there's some basis in that, um, in, has some basis in that. At the same time, it's like, leave us alone. It's really, yeah, yeah double-edged sword. You said it. Oof. Yeah. Well, and I mean, the fall is always sort of that season of change. 
you know, so my daughter's now graduated high school and, and I just dropped her off in uh, northern New Brunswick at a Bible school. Oh, yeah. And uh, so she's she's diving into and she's looking forward to it. I mean, her her response to having to do schoolwork was, well, I only have to do Bible because, you know, being in a Christian school, you're doing Bible and chapels and you're doing math and chemistry and yeah. English and, you know, creative writing. So only having to do one subject seems very simple to her, which is awesome. And she, you know, she loves God. So um, she's diving into the book of John right now in Bible school and we're preaching it here. So she's been listening to the preaching all the way up to chapter 15. <laughs> That's so cool. Yeah. So it's, it's neat how that works. Now, so, tell, so tell me something. She's your oldest. She is my oldest. And yeah. You just had to drop her off at school. Yes. Well, that was hard, wasn't it? Harder, I think, for mom yeah, because, okay. you know, she's our only daughter. So, you know, mom and her are pretty tight. Yeah. And, you know, we have a fairly close family, but it, she is only four and a half hours away. So she'll be coming home for Thanksgiving, American Thanksgiving, because they're on the border of, like, mm, okay. uh, of Maine. So it's yeah. Maine and New Brunswick. And the school is literally 10 minutes from the border. Oh, there you go. Well, that makes sense. All right. Yeah. I, so they have a lot of American students. So they get all the American holidays as well. See, I could tell you that, you know, because Mar Marissa is 23, my oldest. Yep. And there is a, an, Marissa, if you're listening, I love you. That's, <laughs> but there is something, there's, there's a, there's something to be said for when your child is annoying enough that you can't wait for them to leave. Um, <laughs> but with Abby, it seems like she, you know, I, I'm sure she's listening. Um, because she's a faithful daughter, unlike Marissa. Um, <laughs> but, uh, it seems like she's a, um, that would have been really tough because she seems like she's, you know, pretty even keel um, mm -hmm. in, in many ways. And a lot of teenagers are like, get out of my house as now, not, not in yeah. fact, yesterday, if you could make it yesterday. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> she she's definitely not drama. She has, she's never been boy crazy. She, you know, she wears like old man sweaters. If she goes to the, the value village, we call it here. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, we call it the VV boutique actually. And, uh, you know, she'll go to the men's section and look for ugly sweaters and that's what she wears, but she can, she can carry anything. She's, she's, uh, they call it bridal college though. So I've already warned her that, you know, to stay away from the boys, you know, like focus on God. <laughs> right. They have a, so, um, for, for any of our uh, LDS listeners, not sure if we have any of those, Latter-day Saints. Um, oh, yes. So they they have, uh, you know, Brigham Young University, um, you know, BYU, uh, a lot. They would say that young women would go there to get their MRS degree. Yes, that's right. Right. So, um, so for those of you who can't spell, it doesn't spell <laughs> anything, but it means misses. So, you know, do you go there to, to get married? And the fact is... A lot of them went there for that very reason, but yeah, exactly. I don't know that has anything to do with our subject to interview subject today, but, um, knowing that we're on short time for recording, do you mind if we transition into that? Yeah. Yeah. Let's dive right in. I know you, recently you had the chance to interview, uh, Mark Allen Shesky. Nope. Did I nope, get that right? That's okay. Cause a lot of people get it wrong. Shelsky. Think Shelsky. Of, okay. Yeah. Mark Allen Shelsky. So he's a, um, a writer and a speaker. He's actually from the Northwest. He teaches at a, at a church that I, uh, in the physically I used to attend. 
It, okay. it, since then, it's actually a different church. It's right across from the street from where I used to live. It's kind of funny. Just um, the book showed up on my doorstep and I went, oh, this is a book I'm interested in. And then I look at the author and I go, why is his name familiar? And uh, it's because he's local. Um, But he wrote a book called The Wisdom of Your Heart. And it's uh, reconciling emotions um, with um, theology and our interaction with God. And for me, selfishly, I went, ooh, this is something that I can definitely connect with in this season of my life. Um, And he's local. You know, I got to talk to this guy. Um, Mm -hmm. So... um, but he's um, he's coming in uh, writing this book, you know, after, um, you know, he's really struggled in ministry with um, depression and burnout. And then how, you know, how does that impact him as he's trying to put kind of life back together again and his relationship with his family and his faith? So, um, yeah. so I had a great conversation uh, with Mark and uh, I hope you enjoy it. Well, good morning, sir. First thing I want to say is congratulations on the release of, uh, of your book, The Wisdom of Your Heart, Discovering the God-Given Purpose and Power of Your Emotions. Uh, September 1st, 2017 uh, is the release date. I have that correct? Yeah? That's right. Uh, is, this, is this your first book? Uh, this is my first traditionally published book. I have a, a small book that I published myself a few years ago about uh, uh, discovering personal core values. Mm. Um, but this is uh, the first one with a publisher and the whole deal. And it has been uh, quite an adventure and learning experience for me. And I'm excited to be on the um, on the final leg of the journey to actually see this thing get out there into people's hands. Well, I want to affirm you. You know, I talk to a lot of artists and authors and, and, and people who are creatives and this is probably the part of the process that people enjoy the least. Uh, and uh, I appreciate that you, you've come on and you're taking some time to chat with us. It's very interesting. You know, it's it's a completely different uh, process, you know, whether you're creating music or making a movie or writing a book. You know, you do that thing and then you finish it and then the powers that be say, OK, now it's time for you to get out there and sell it. And it's a completely different set of skills that you might not actually have (laughs) and you might uh, might not be very skilled in. And so trying to figure out how to, um, you know, how to talk about it, how to promote it in a way that feels uh, like it has integrity and and isn't just, you know, shouting like a used car salesman into space constantly about it. You know, Uh, the best the best advice I I was given, I was talking to somebody about it, about my insecurities about it. And they said, well, you believe in in this book, right? And said, yeah. And I said, you believe that this is material that can be life changing. I said, sure, it has been for me. And they said, well, then you should be telling people that I was like, oh, right, that's what I'm doing. Okay, thank you for recentering me. This matters. This matters for the church. This matters for us to be effective in our witness for the gospel. I can talk about that. Excellent. Well, you know, it's, I think part of it is tapping back into the passion that initiated the endeavor to begin with, the, the thing that made you want to talk to people about it. And then it's just, you're in a different venue sharing a similar conversation um, about that initial uh, seed or genesis of uh, the idea. Um, of course, we're talking about it, but uh, I haven't really given the opportunity to tell us, maybe uh, give us a brief overview of the, the core topic of the wisdom of your heart. 
Sure. Well, if you've grown up in the church, uh, you have heard about, you know, the concept of people kind of growing in their faith. And a lot of times the way we talk about that is we wrap that up in the word discipleship. And for most churches, discipleship, when you really look at practically what they're doing, they're teaching people uh, maybe how to read the Bible. They're teaching people uh, maybe methods for prayer. They're encouraging people to be regular and faithful in reading the Bible and in prayer. In some communities, maybe there's an aspect of learning how to be accountable in community. And then in some communities, maybe there's a theological education component. You know, But when you think about what that is— all of those things are uh, intellectual processes. Yeah. They're they're kind of academically based like a classroom. You've got a professor teaching you, and you're learning stuff. And the hope, I think, the church has is that if you learn these things, that that's going to shape you and 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 then we, you know, we hope grow you up in Christ. You know, and the problem is that learning a lot of stuff doesn't actually help you grow in your relationship with God at all. And one of the one of the big problems that um, we have in the church is that we have a lot of people who are really well educated about how to be a Christian and how to live in Christian culture and how to use Christian-y language. Uh, And many of those people have never, ever been invited to do the hard inner work of actually maturing as a human being, like becoming more mature after the image of Christ. And one aspect, uh, the wisdom of your heart is about one aspect of that hidden inner work. And that is about maturing emotionally. The argument that I make is that emotional discipleship is a part of growing in Christ. And I make that argument not from uh, an academic Uh, position, although there's plenty of research in the book, I make that argument from my own lived experience of, of going through a massive crash, finding myself in deep depression, not having the tools to deal with it, uh, having grown up with a whole slew of myths about emotions and faith that turned out to be really destructive and counterproductive. Yeah. And and until I was able to be kind of guided through a process of emotional recovery that frankly didn't come from the church. I mean, it came from Christians, but it didn't come from the church's process of discipleship. Uh, until I went through that, I, I I was not able to deal with the consequences of what was happening in my life emotionally. And the fruit of that is that I... I was hurting people around me and I didn't even realize it. I was damaging uh, the ministry of my church. I was uh, impacting my marriage negatively. I was, um, you know, I was damaging my my relationship with God, my spiritual journey. And so all of these things that mattered to me uh, that I'd set out to invest in, all of them were taking a hit. And it was because of this one aspect of life that I had not ever been equipped to deal with my emotions in a way that was uh, that was actually in align with how emotions work, that was in alignment with um, what I what I think the Bible has to say about emotions, and and that allowed would allow me to process and deal with what was happening inside of me. And I think a lot of times in the church we 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 tell people that the solution to everything is just to read more scripture and pray harder, and. Mm-hmm. You know, I prayer prayer is a very impactful thing, and I believe in the power of scripture. But praying harder and reading more scripture did not help me when I was in a place of great depression and when I was in a place of emotional brokenness, hurting the people around me. I could do that more and more and more. I could muscle up the energy to pray harder and read more scripture, and all it did was was give me 
uh, you know, sort of more tools to, to hit the people around me with. It never, it never addressed the growth that needed to happen in, in the inner places in my heart. Just to, to tack on there, you're not just hitting other people with that. I, I know that for myself and, and, uh, my experience with depression that, um, that we will wield the gospel as a weapon on ourselves when we read something there, uh, when it's devoid of emotion and say, why am I not okay? Why am I struggling when it appears that I have been given everything that I need? And yet, I'm still struggling. That's exactly right. You know, we have we have really well-meaning, well-intentioned, good Christian people who will feel, you know, heavy emotions. Maybe they have something going on in their life that's bringing up a lot of anger or maybe something is going on where they have a lot of sadness. They go through a loss and they have just this this persistent deep grieving that's happening. And because of the lessons that they've been taught in church, they actually now have an additional layer of difficulty because when they feel those things, they say, I must not be a very good Christian. My faith not, must not be very strong because if I really trusted God, I wouldn't feel this way. I wouldn't feel so sad because obviously this is part of God's plan. So why am I sad about it? Or I wouldn't feel so angry because that's not righteous and I want to be holy. And, and I, I just, this keeps coming up in me. And so I must just, I must be failing, you know? And so then we, we create these church communities where we kind of all agree that we're not going to tell the truth to each other, right? We give each other permission to say, you know, as long as you don't tell me about the, the, the pain and darkness in your inner life, I won't tell you about mine. And we all will just agree that that's okay, and we'll come together on the weekend and we'll worship, and it'll be wonderful, and we'll praise the Lord, and we just won't ever talk about this part of our life. And so now now there's a break in intimacy because we're not telling the truth to each other, and that then brings in a, a break in intimacy with God because the less honest we are with ourselves, the less uh, able we are to have intimate relationship with God. And, and, and then we're stuck. Yes. You know, we're not, we're not actually growing, even though maybe we are learning more and more about how to be a good Christian person. We're not actually growing in Christ because we're not allowing the change to settle into the the deepest places in our heart. That's very well said. And I, I hope it's something that people really give themselves permission to hear and, and act on. That resolve that says, I agree with what you're saying, but how do I make this part of my journey moving forward? And that's, um, it, it's, uh, you talk about journaling, for example, um, in the book. It's something, it's a, something that I used to do as a kid, and then I just got out of the habit. But then about a year ago, I started it again. You're definitely an advocate of that practice. And I'm, I'm, I'm interested in understanding what you feel that does for them in terms of their, that emotional growth and emotional journey. And then just from a very practical standpoint, how do you, how do you get going with something like that? For other folks who are interested, uh, I'd love to hear your perspective on that. Sure. Journaling has been life-saving for me. Uh, I know that not everybody considers themselves a journaler and they, you know, it's writing. And so that's intimidating for some people, but it is, it has really been a lifesaver for me. And I, I recommend it, you know, almost all the time when I'm in conversations of pastoral care with people. And, and the core reason is that journaling allows you to get the thoughts and the feelings out of the subjectivity of your brain and into a concrete form. And when they're out there, they're not, first off, it's concrete. So you can actually relate to it. You can think about it. You can evaluate it in a way that it's very hard to evaluate your own thoughts while they're inside your head. 
And then also um, it externalizes it so that you're noticing something that a lot of people never, never come across this truth. And it's really important. Your thoughts aren't you. Mm. Your emotions aren't you. They, they are things that pass through your mind and your body, but they aren't you. And so for Christians, I think that's one of the places that you can find freedom because if you realize, like if I have a problem with anger and you realize anger is not my identity, it's not who right. I am, it's, it's an emotion that I have, now I'm one step removed from it and I can look at it more objectively and I can maybe begin the journey of trying to understand why, why do I have all these triggers where anger rises up in me and what's causing that so that I can deal with it. And that's different than just, I'm an angry person that I'm a sinner. Uh, God doesn't love me. You know, I'm a failure because I, I keep promising I'm not going to be angry at my wife and I keep getting, I keep getting angry. So I'm a failure, you know, and, and that, that kind of spiral, which makes it very hard to, to get any forward ground. You know, you get into that guilt spiral, which makes it so that you don't even want to deal with the issue. And journaling kind of allows you to externalize that so that you can look at it separate from yourself. Now, you know, there's a million ways to journal. Uh, there's all kinds of processes. Journaling in itself isn't a magic bullet. It has a, a lot to do with the intention and the, the process that you bring to it. But what journaling does is it, it inoculates you in a few ways um, uh, against things that are real for us in our culture. Journaling is slow. Mm. Our, culture, our culture is fast. And our culture demands that we keep moving and we don't have enough time to stop. And really, honestly, one of the reasons I think that the church is, is struggling with discipleship is this is this issue, is that the culture we live in demands us to keep moving. And we feel like we don't have the time to stop for half an hour a day and do the hidden inner work. And so we don't. And we're constantly living in this five minutes behind rush. Well, journaling is slow, right? When you write something out you know, handwritten, or even if you type it on a computer, that's slower than your thought process and you're having to slow down. And so just that act is, is inoculating you against this culture of speed. Journaling forces you to be particular. Um, when you're, when you're just thinking in your mind, when you're just evaluating things in your mind, our innate ability to self-justify is so powerful that we always think our thoughts are great. <laughs> And, and when you get them out of yourself and you pick particular words to write your thoughts down and then you read them, a lot of times you're like, oh, if I heard someone else say those words, I would say that person was going off the deep end, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. You know, but if the words are just inside your own head, you have, you know, you have reasons for them and justifications and they feel natural and comfortable to you. And so when you pick the particular words that you pick to express something, you know, and you're saying, I, you know, I'm frustrated with my spouse. Well, that's a really vague statement. What does that mean? I'm frustrated. Well, what, what's, what am I actually feeling? Am I feeling anger? Am I feeling bitter, uh, bitterness? Am I feeling um, disrespected? Am I feeling unlistened to, you know, you begin to push down and get more and more specific in a way that you would very likely not do just in the confines of your head. And so that particularity helps you understand uh, better what's going on. And, and then the, the other thing uh, about journaling is that, um, it's kind of like the, um, the old school mark on the, on the door in the kitchen, you know, that maybe your mom did when you were a kid and you were growing up. 
and you'd go and stand there and she'd draw the little line and then next year she'd draw the little line and you could go look at it and you could see you could see that you'd grown a half inch where in the course of your daily life it's very hard to see if you're growing right you know and journaling gives you that mark on the wall right where i can i can look at at my journal and go oh my gosh i was thinking these things i was feeling these ways and i'm not feeling that anymore that's growth that's change you know and i think that a lot of us in church we've kind of grown up with the culture that we celebrate miraculous transformation someone gets up front and they share their testimony about how you know, such and such terrible thing was happening in their life. And then, then they had an amazing experience with God. And now that same thing doesn't happen anymore. And that person's up on front, up in the front on church. And they, they share that story and we celebrate it and we pray for them and we applaud. And I think one of the unintended consequences of that is that regular everyday people begin to think that, that God is not working in their life mm-hmm. well, because yeah. they don't have, they don't have stories like that. Uh, and yeah. so the journal the journal allows you to see, oh, look, actually, on the matter of my anger, I am changing. You know, on the matter of my depression, things are different than they were a year ago. God really is working. And that's encouraging. Um, but it's it's different than that that miraculous story that some people have, but not everybody does. You know, I, I love that illustration because um, occasionally you'll be asked, uh, we, uh, will be, we will be asked, you know, we'll share your testimony. And, um, and then, and you, as you stated, there are people who can go up and share these stories and you're, and you think, well, shoot, I, I, I don't have any instance like that. I don't have a lightning bolt moment in my life that says, this is how your life was changed and, 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 and uh, how you were transformed from a, uh, a non-Christian to a Christian. Um, when, you know, my story is a series of uh, minute changes that have led me to this. It's almost as you're stating that um, we are communicating to people that if your change is, is not instantaneous, that um, it doesn't necessarily record and yet through journaling, we are giving ourselves permission to change um, gradually, but also to take that baseline so we can look back a year or 10 years or however long and go, wow, that's how I felt. That's what I was doing. Mm-hmm. And yet here is where I am at today. And to celebrate that growth and that change. Yeah, it's really important. You know, I think the average church person doesn't have a transformational testimony. And so they think that they really aren't growing. And and that's not true. We are all growing all the time. Growth is what we do. Our hearts and our minds change in relationship to the content that we're – the food, the nutrients that we're putting into our body and mind, the people we're spending time with, the actions we're choosing. Like all of those things are shaping us, right? Some Christian traditions call it spiritual formation, although that's a word that some other traditions don't like. Right. But – The fact of the matter is that we are being shaped all of the time. Our spiritual self is being shaped all of the time. And if we aren't investing intentionally and doing the hidden inner work of spiritual growth, if we aren't doing that, then the change that's happening in our life is is going to be more toward the mean. It's going to be more towards whatever is acceptable in culture. It's going to be more towards whatever works in our workplace or whatever allows us to fit in at school. The change is going to be subtly in that direction. And if we're not spending time, you know, looking at 
how, how am I growing in relationship with Christ? Am I knowing Christ more? If we're not doing that, then we're not going to be growing in that direction. And, and the wisdom of your heart is talking about, you know, one slice of this, of this part of our lives, which is, is our emotional reality, which is actually a larger piece of our lives than I ever thought. And that it impacts our relationships, it impacts our intimacy with each other, it impacts our intimacy with God. And so you might say, well, focusing on emotional growth, that's really not a spiritual practice. Well, I got to tell you, in my life, in the last five years, focusing on my emotional maturity has helped me grow in my relationship with Christ more than anything I've done in 40 years. And I think it's very simple to explain why. The currency of relationship is intimacy. Yeah. The vehicle of intimacy is emotional connection. If you are stuck in an eddy of emotional immaturity, if you are in a place where you cannot be truthful about how you're feeling and why you're feeling it, then you don't actually have the currency necessary to build intimacy, whether that's with your spouse or your kids or with God, right? And so learning how to grow in this area of our life, it's like a doorway that opens the possibility of greater and greater intimacy with, with yourself, with the people around you that you love, and absolutely with God. Like you, you, if you can't be honest with God about where you're at, there's a roadblock in your relationship with God, period. And what will happen over time is that your relationship with God will devolve into duty, where you're, where the word relationship with God becomes a code word. And what it really means is, did you spend your time this week reading scripture and praying? Yeah. And if you did those things, then you can say, my relationship with God is fine. But you and I both know that no amount of time reading scripture and praying actually can create an intimate, two-way, life-impacting relationship with God, right? Scripture and prayer are tools within a relationship, but just, but just doing them over and over and over again without having truth and authenticity about who you are before God it's not, it's not going to build deep relationship. It can't. Well, just like living, uh, living in the house with your, with your wife doesn't, uh, your proximity, your time together doesn't equate to a happy marriage. It's just one component, uh, without the emotional aspect of that, you're, you're really not fulfilling the potential of that relationship. Right. Exactly. Right. You get, it, it becomes transactional, right? Like if, imagine that same scenario played out, you're living in your house with your wife, or your husband for 10 years, you really have no emotional relationship. But what do you have? You have habits, yeah. right? Like you get up and you make tea every morning and she cleans the bathrooms. And once a month you bring home flowers and put them in a vase on the dinner table. Like you have habits. And then over time you have, you have ruts, right? Yeah. And so then 10 years into this, you know, there's no spark 10 years into it. There's not a deep sense of connection. When you sit down to talk with your spouse, you're never talking about the kind of relational things you talked about when you were dating. Now you're only talking about logistical things, right? right? Who's taking the kids to school tomorrow? Oh, okay. Would you pick up some of these groceries when you come home from work? Yeah, sure. I'll do that. And it's peaceful, right? It's not like a, like a, you know, a fighting relationship where you're screaming bad names at each other. It's peaceful. But it is essentially unfulfilling because the heart is missing. So 
We're back. And one of the things I want to say is clearly the conversation isn't over. Um, we, Mark and I talked for almost an hour and there was just a lot of good stuff that we talked about. If you're enjoying it, I want you to stick around because part two is just like right on the heels of this. But um, I hope you kind of folks are getting a sense of where Mark's coming from. And, um, you know, the idea that it's uh, um, not emotionalism, you know, we're not, um, you know, always looking for that mountaintop moment that's going to drive us forward, you know, but finding that balance between those two. And then um, the next part of the interview is really kind of my favorite part where we get into talking about the difference between reason and emotion and the marriage of those two, how those two fit together um, that, you know, we, it's not just reason wins out and reason is what we appreciate and emotionalism is, or emotions are people out of control. It's, you know, you have to have both to have faith. So it, anyway, it gets, yeah. I think it gets, it's very, it gets pretty interesting. Not that it already hasn't been, but anyway, yeah, no, hope you've great. enjoyed it, Dan. I mean, uh, yeah. in so much as you've had the opportunity to, to really dig in. Well, and, and, you know, as a, as an elder, a pastor of which you are one too, yeah. um, even though bivocational, um, you carry the burden and the, the, um, responsibility of eldership. Um, we're always looking for resources to, to kind of keep us focused and, and, you know, move the compass in the right direction. Oh, cool. By, I believe the author is Christopher Ash and, um. Yeah, I can. We can put a link to it, but it's just another sort of small reference manual for pastors. It's literally short enough to be toilet reading, you know, for lack of a better <laughs> lack of a better term. Hey, sorry, Christopher. Yeah, but you're toilet reading. <laughs> well, I I mean that in the sense that he didn't want the book to be so verbose that it's burden, because the whole point of the book is dealing with burden. Yeah, so right. There's very an intelligently. irony if you yeah. have a a, a, a tome uh, that is something that's cr critical. Um, yeah, yeah. So, so it's it's very well written. It's very late, very much laid out. Like like it always reminds you of who you are in Christ, and reminds you that this isn't your burden to bear. That you represent Christ, who is the the one who bears the burden. Um, it's just a good little book to um, which is again complementary to other things. Um, so I'm glad that these topics are being, um, talked about and written yeah. many, many pastors that suffer in silence and depression. And, and a lot of us are, are introverts, ironically, even though we're public speakers. Yeah. So it's just good, good to tackle that. So we look forward to episode two coming up next. All right. In the meantime, Joe, uh, why don't we wrap it up and, uh, we'll, we'll tackle part two in the next podcast, which, uh, folks will hear very shortly. And if you want to connect with us, contact us at, uh, Dan or Joe at frequency.fm. We love hearing from you. Um, if you have any questions, comments, concerns, if you have music to share, um, you know, we're always open to listen. And, um, if you're interested in volunteering to help with the podcast, oh, you know, yeah. we're currently looking for folks to, to join us, um, to get the word out, to um, um, share content and uh, get things in front of you. As you know, we're a charity. Uh, we don't make money. We don't take a paycheck. So in turn, we don't necessarily pay people, but uh, we do try to love on them and um, provide opportunity for those that are, are seeking to get into the podcasting world. So again, we appreciate all the, the uh, comments and suggestions and support and rate us on iTunes. And uh, we will talk to you again very soon. Take care and bye for now. Take care.